0: Okie dokie, well we are, uh, it's funny, I'm a dad so I say things like okie (laughs) dokie. It's the 13th Sunday of the year but we are in the 12th week of our series going through the book of Mark and after today guys there's only two Sundays left before Easter and Easter is kind of like a moving holiday, it's all based on the lunar calendar and things like that and so it changes exactly where it's at each year. But, you know, when when you are a pastor in a church, you're always kind of like going, oh, when is Easter? And you're like, man, it's coming up quick. So the same way that some people feel about the end of summer or when is Christmas coming, you know, like for Christmas break or something like it's like, okay, Easter, where where is it going to land? So it's only two more Sundays and we're going to finish up this series on Easter Sunday. So we hope that you uh, plan to be here on that, that day, uh, April 9th. It's the same time as always as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Jesus, and so today, as we just have a few weeks left in the book of Mark, let's go ahead and jump right into Mark chapter 14, and if you don't have a physical Bible of your own, you're welcome to take one from the bookshelf out in the lobby, or just download uh, one from any of the digital app stores, and we have a tradition of just giving the scriptures our full attention uh, when we read them, and so you can do that any number of ways, One way, you can remain seated if you'd like, or if you'd like, you can stand with me as we read the scriptures. Mark 14, starting in verse 12, it says this. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table, eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, One who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating... Jesus took bread, and then he, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Let us pray. God of every tribe, of every tongue, every color, every nation. We thank you for the Bible, for the scriptures. We thank you that they have persisted throughout the millennia. We still have them to read and consider. Today, whatever you have for each of us individually and us as a congregation to learn, I pray that it would stick, that it would become a part of the framework of our faith, that we would become more like your son. Amen. Amen. You can all have a seat. (laughs) Okie dokie. <laughs> Alright, so the first thing I want to point out is Mark is doing what he always does, right? I, I continually try to draw us back to this idea that, that he's, he's an author. And he's giving us details. And you always have to ask, like, why is he giving these specific details? And he's giving us a detail that connects us back to the bigger story. What bigger story? The story of the Israelite people, right? Mark says, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, the disciples ask about the Passover meal. Now, the Passover meal and this festival, they both point all the way back to the Exodus, all the way back to when God had Moses lead his people out of bondage. We find that in the book of Exodus... And and, and God had, had brought nine plagues against Israel's captors up to that point, and the night of the tenth plague was the night of the first Passover meal. The lamb was sacrificed as a symbol that his people would be saved from the angel of death, that tenth plague, and that they would be freed from their slavery. Anyone that marked the doorway of their house with the blood of the lamb, would be saved and safe. And then the bread that they would eat at that meal, even still, when when people that are Jewish practice a Seder meal, practice the Passover, they eat unleavened bread. And the bread was unleavened to make a point. It was meant to symbolize that they had to be ready to go. They didn't have time to sit around and wait for dota rice. It's like, all right, we get it, put it in there, cook it, let's eat it. Because at any moment, God would deliver them and they would be potentially on the run from Egypt. Every year since then, the Israelite people would eat a meal that would remind them of that first night, still today. This still happens. And what we read today, Jesus has been lining things up, seeing how things were leading to this meal for a while so as Mark is getting toward the end of the story here right he's only got a couple chapters left remember he's been thinking about this how am I going to put this together as he's winding this story down he's actually ramping the imagery up and the connection to their history so when Mark says on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? The reader, the hearer, should already be expecting that something significant is going to happen. Something that will give them a new layer, a new understanding to the old story. But now, before we circle back around to that last meal, let's look at what leads up to the meal. Because the second thing I want to point out is the way that the disciples had learned to trust in Jesus. The kind of faith that they had developed. What do I mean? So Jesus says, go into the city, and the man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house, he enters. The teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. It takes a lot of trust to follow these kinds of instructions. If I told you, go over to Cool Beans, the owner is Annette, ask if I can have a coffee. If I said, go over to Rooster's, the owner is Jeff, ask if I can have a burger. See if, if, I, just see if he has any wings he can bring over. If I said, go over to the Bancake House, the owners are Jose and Sarah. I was just talking to Sarah this morning when I was in there. Ask if I could have an omelet. They know me, I know them, they know I'm good for it. But if I told you, go downtown Rock Island and you're gonna bump into a lady with a cane, (laughs) follow that lady to where she lives. And and if you do, what you do happens is you go downtown, there happens to be a lady with a cane and she gets on the bus. So you're like, okay, I'm gonna get on the bus and then she gets off the bus and so you get off the bus at the same stop. And then you follow her up to her house, and just as she's putting the key in the door, she turns around, and she maces you right in your face. These disciples were willing to follow Jesus in a way that felt foolish or even risky, that might make them feel like, oh, is this really going to happen? But they were willing to do this because of everything that Jesus had shown them. Why was this risky? Because, we're talking about Rock Island, and I'm talking about places that I go to all the time. But Jerusalem at Passover would have been packed. It's hard for us to comprehend. Think about like when the World Series happens to be in your favorite city, or when the Olympics goes to a certain city, or uh, I'm trying to think of just the, the biggest possible thing. Just think about Mercado on 5th during the week, and then think about Mercado on 5th on a Friday night. Like, This is Passover at the Passover. Josephus, a Jewish historian, said that at Passover, that Jerusalem would swell to over 2 million inhabitants. Now, Josephus is a known exaggerator. So we don't know if he's actually telling the truth. But our best estimates are that during the Passover, there was an extra 100 to as many as 900 extra thousand people. Over a million people altogether in Jerusalem. So let's consider when Jesus says, go into the city... And a guy carrying a water jug will meet you. Just how many guys could there have been in the whole city of Jerusalem carrying a water jug? Only one? I mean, I I doubt it. And this isn't even the first time that Jesus has done something like this. In Mark 11, Jesus says this, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter, you will find a cult on which no one has ever sat. How he knew that? I don't know. He's Jesus. (laughs) Untie it and bring it to me. If anyone says to you, why are you taking this? Just say the Lord has need of it. (laughs) And I'll bring it back here immediately when he's done with it. Jesus says, go follow a guy with a water jug. Go take someone's donkey. Today these... kinds of things would be called stealing and stalking, I was thinking about today, like going like fight club style and just handing everyone an envelope of something they had to do on the way out. Um, But Jesus had given his disciples a thousand reasons to believe that it would be okay, that it would work. And so they were willing to look foolish or risk being foolish Because they did, they found things just as Jesus had told them. How often do we find things just as Jesus had told us? Maybe not often enough, and maybe it's because it's not that often that we just do exactly what Jesus said. This last week in Community Table, the focus was listening to the Spirit. And what we did was we asked everybody in the group if they had a challenge that they were dealing with so that, they, that we could all collectively listen to the Holy Spirit on their behalf and see what God might be saying to that person. And so someone shared the challenge. We all prayed. We sat silently. We prayed the Lord's Prayer. And I gave the instruction. Listen, we're not looking for paragraphs. We're not looking for advice. We're looking for Bible verses. We're looking for a phrase that the Lord might be saying. And after we prayed, one person had a Bible verse. And one person had a phrase that was an encouraging phrase. And that person that shared their challenge before they left said they felt encouraged and like they had more peace. They took the risk. Of sharing, and we took the risk of listening and saying out loud what we felt the Spirit might be saying to us, and it was worth it because we found things just as the Spirit had told us. Jesus knew there'd be a colt for him to ride, If, if Jesus knew there would be a guy with a water jug to follow. If he knew there'd be a house with a guest room where they'd eat their meal, all of this should lead them and lead us to believe Jesus knows things that we don't. And it should lead us to believe whatever Jesus says next. So when he says, truly I tell you that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me there should be no surprise that he's right now if you're Judas and you're sitting at the table maybe you're surprised (laughs) but here's the thing that isn't the most surprising thing that happens at that table then I don't think it's the thing that we're supposed to focus on. I think it's what comes next. Because after he says that he knows who will betray him, then he passes the bread and the cup. He gives the symbol of his bread and his body to his betrayer. When I was 18, I started working at this camp up in Michigan, and I probably told this story at some point. We've been doing this for nine and a half years, so who knows? Um, It's a camp called Beach Point in Allegan, Michigan, a little tiny town up there in the mitten, and I only found out about it because a friend of mine at Bible study named uh, Patty Taylor... Uh, had worked there previous years and I was at a Bible study on Monday night at the very beginning of summer and she said, hey, we're looking for more counselors uh, for, for camp and then I said, oh, tell me about it. And she told me about it. And I was like, oh, yeah. And she said, oh, I could get you an interview on the phone right now. And I had an interview with, with Mark David Heiser. David Heiser is one word. So we just called him Mr. D. And Mr. D had, had an interview with me on the phone that night at Olin's house here in, well, the, over there in Moline with someone in Michigan. And he said, yeah, yeah, you sound great. We'll hire you. And so... Literally, a few days later, I just I went to my mom's house. My mom and dad the next day said, hey, I got a job at, at a camp up in Michigan. Where? What's that? Oh, I have no idea, but we're going to go. And so I ended up working there that summer with Patty and a bunch of others. And then the next summer, Patty wasn't there anymore. And it's kind of a, a new mix of counselors every year. There's a good mix of people that have been there, but then there's new counselors. And there was a new guy and a gal there. And the impression was very much that the girl was, had long-time Christian, that the guy had just become a Christian, and in a lot of ways, it was kind of, it felt like one of those, he was dating a Christian girl, and so he became a Christian because he was dating the Christian girl, and they saw working at the same camp as a way for them to spend the summer together, and he and I, it's not like we we didn't fight with each other, we just butted heads a little bit, and I think that the camp counselor knew that, he kept putting us together to do things. (laughs) <laughs> and at, at one point, um, he finally said, "You know what? You know, camp isn't for me. Like, this is like three weeks in. So, camp isn't really for me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go home." And it was Saturday night, and Patty had come to visit all the camp counselors for the weekend just to see how things were going. And we were gonna go have like a movie night at someone's house. I think it was Summer's house on Saturday night, and. I drove with Patty because Patty was the reason I even knew about this camp in the first place. And as we're driving, she's like, how's the summer going? And I'm telling her all about this guy that I can't stand. And and how I like, I'm just like, I literally, the words came out of my mouth. I can't wait till he's gone. And she said, you know, Greg, Jesus gave the bread and the wine, to Judas too. I was like, Patty, why you got to say things like that? (laughs) Because those kinds of realizations, they force you to ask, how do I practice this? How would I even participate in this? How do I open my heart to people that don't feel like they are for me? that I can already feel like I can tell that even though we're at the same table now, that later tonight they're going to be handing me over to my enemies. Well, we, we participate with this first by remembering that Jesus loves our enemies. He says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If someone slaps you on the cheek turn your other cheek to them also. If someone takes your outer garment, offer them also your undergarment. If someone makes you walk a mile, offer to walk another mile with them. If someone steals, do not try to take it back. Jesus loves our enemies real or imagined. The question is, will we will we love our enemies the way that Jesus does Jesus gave Judas the bread and wine after he announced that he knew that he would be betrayed Judas still betrayed him Judas still handed him over So Jesus isn't saying that doing the right thing will make anyone else do the right thing. Listen, I, I know. Like I've, I am your pastor, one of them. And I know the truth is that right now I've had conversations with people in this room about this subject. And as much as some of you feel like this is directed at you, it is directed at me right now. Because there's people in my life that I really don't want to forgive. And that I really do not want to give them space because I just think they're going to hurt me. Because I have given them the bread and the wine plenty of times. And while Judas still betrayed Jesus and while Judas still fell away, we need to hear this, that Judas isn't our example. Jesus is. Jesus is our example. And the blueprint discipleship that we have here there's a reason that forgiveness is the last thing before we get to work. Because it's the most difficult thing. And it's not until we do all of the other things, we start pulling away the layers, we start to abide in prayer, we meditate on the scriptures, we listen to the spirit, we begin to practice our faith, that we get to a place where we go, well, there's nothing left except to forgive. We have been forgiven. Mm. Pardon me as I blow my nose. So the last thing I want to share is this. The message of the Passover is still true for us today but it does take on a new meaning because of Jesus. Any house, any heart that is marked by the blood of Jesus is saved. Just like the bread is unleavened because you gotta be ready to go, there is no time like today to receive the bread, to receive the cup, and to maybe believe in Jesus in a way that you haven't yet. You may feel like you have been the enemy of God, but Jesus gives himself to everyone at the table. Everyone at the table gets Jesus, and it may seem foolish, it really may seem foolish, to follow a guy downtown and look for someone that has a cane and get on a bus and see if it leads you to getting to serve Jesus, but you just might find that things are just the way he said they would be. And I hope that today, as I let the Holy Spirit work on me to believe in him in new ways and to learn to forgive in new ways that I will find things just the way he says they will be. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Jesus. You gave all of yourself, very literally every bit of your body, Every drop of your blood you gave for us, for the world. To believe, to believe that you are the son of God and to believe that you show us how to live life, that you reconcile us to God. And I pray that today that we would find you in the place that you say you want to live inside the door of our heart, in our lives, as our one and only forever. I pray that even now that you would move our hearts about who to forgive and how to forgive appropriately and in a healthy way. That she would help us to be foolish in the moments that we need to be. So that as we come to your table, we understand what it is that we're doing. Amen.